Good morning, everybody. How you doing? Good. Well, I'm excited to continue on in the series of unconditional. Today, we're talking about unconditional joy. Unconditional joy. Who wants unconditional joy in this house? Yes, yes. Hey, before we do that, I want to invite you into something on September 25th, 26th, and 27th. That's a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. We're going to be going into a season of prayer and fasting, three days of prayer and fasting. It immediately precedes our planning commission hearing. We finally have a date for that in which we're asking the Lord to bless us with permission to build our new church building. And uh, the way that we battle as believers is not in the flesh, but in the spirit. And so we fast asking in our weakness for God to be strong. And we're not only praying for that, but we're going to be praying for personal breakthrough. For It's going to be a time of us bringing our breakthroughs before the Lord that we need and asking Him to do something. And also asking for international breakthrough as we've been seeing God do amazing things internationally with our church family and our church plants, but also some really uh, intense pushback and intense challenges. So we're going to ask for that too. Hey, this light right here is... Uh, Pulsating. I don't know if there's anything we can do with that, speaking of trials. You always have to live out your message. <laughs> um, so as we talk about unconditional joy, my first point today is unconditional joy can change your life. Unconditional joy can change your life, and my life certainly bears witness to that. I love how many students we have in this church. Our church is overflowing with middle school students, high school students, college, grad students, international students. And I get so excited for you guys because it was the time where God grabbed a hold of me. And it was in a unique manner. I had been in the church for years. I was a Christian, but I really saw the equation I thought that would lead to happiness was Jesus plus a lot of earthly blessing, a lot of accomplishments, and uh, a lot of extra things. So when I went off to, to college, I had made sure that I had the, the trendiest clothes that you could purchase. It was the years of Abercrombie and Fitch. So I had my corduroy pants and my moose sweaters. And uh, I, I had the, the sweetest sports car I could buy. No 18-year-old should ever have a uh, a sports car like that, and I went. I spent way too much time in the gym trying to have a very impressive physique. I, I, I joined what I thought was the top fraternity, and yet what I found myself experiencing was tremendous anxiety. I had the questions of, do people really like me? Am I really accepted? Will I choose the right major? Will I ever have a great job? Will I measure up to, to what I think I should or what everyone around me thinks I should? Will the girls like me? Will I, will I be popular? Will, will I make a difference in life? And, and all those anxieties just boiled up to not just being mental battle, but they even affected me physically. Have you ever been so anxious that it actually makes you sick? that it actually it overtakes you. And that's what I was experiencing. And in the midst of that, my, my best friend invited me to a, a small group, the small group I've told you about that met under a tree. And at this small group was an 18-year-old girl that just beamed. And I thought, this is the happiest person I've ever seen. Now, the interesting thing is I got to know her is that she didn't have 
all the accomplishments or she didn't have all the possessions that I thought you needed to have to be happy. She didn't have the coolest clothes. She didn't come from a family of means. In fact, I, I found out that there were some challenges she was dealing with. She didn't know if she'd have enough money to make it to the next semester of college. Her parents were in the middle of looking like they were getting a divorce. She didn't wear the sweetest clothes. She didn't have the coolest car. She drove a, a beat-up old minivan, which wasn't cool back then. And, and so... I remember finally going to her because I, I, I kept seeing this about her and I finally just was really direct. I said, girl, why are you so happy all the time? She literally did this. She went, <laughs> Robert. <laughs> she, she, <laughs> she I, I, and then I said, aren't you, aren't you anxious? Aren't, don't you feel insecure? And she said, you know, I have so many challenges that I find if I'm not walking with Jesus moment by moment, I'm a mess. But she goes, I actually feel his presence. And I actually hear his voice, and it fills me with joy. And men and women, it was that day that I saw the difference between conditional happiness and unconditional joy. And I decided that day, it was like this clunk in my spirit of I have to pursue what she has. And really, that was the defining moment in my life where I stopped just being a religious Christian and I started pursuing friendship with the giver of perfect joy. And little by little, it started changing me. This is what the Bible says, men and women. We're gonna be in the book of Nehemiah if you wanna open there. But the book of Nehemiah in chapter 8, verse 10 says, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Will you read that with me right now? The joy, oh, I need everyone looking up, ready? The joy of the Lord is our strength. This is the lesson of the book of Nehemiah. And you wouldn't think that Nehemiah would be the joy book because over and over and over again, you're gonna see trials, challenges, and weeping. Here's the context of the book of Nehemiah. The people of God are in a terrible trial. They've been captured by a raiding army. Most of them have been exiled. Tons of them were killed. The ones that were left in the land, they're weak, broken, and feeble. And to this Nehemiah, who's not even living in Jerusalem, their precious capital that's been waylaid, the walls have been destroyed, he gets to talk to some of them. And in Nehemiah chapter one, we pick up the story. It says, they said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble. I wonder how many in this room today are in great trouble and disgrace. I wonder how many of you feel disgraced today. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Now this is the city that God said, this is my eternal city where my presence will forever be. And what's happened to it? It's broken down. It's been destroyed by fire. And when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. Maybe some of you are in a season of weeping. If you're not today, at some point in your life, you will be. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. This is a challenging time. This is a painful time. This is an interesting book where we're gonna see the joy of the Lord is our strength. I wanna keep going because we move to Nehemiah chapter two because Nehemiah goes, he talks to the king. The king actually gives him permission to return back and says, you can rebuild. And so we're thinking, this is great. Like things are bad, but now God is for me. So everything is gonna be great, right? Mm. <clears throat> 
Nehemiah 2, 17. Then I said to them, so Nehemiah gathers them around, you see the trouble we're in, Jerusalem lies in ruins, the gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. So certainly everything's gonna go great. I also told them about the gracious hand of God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start building. So they began this good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you're doing? They asked. Are you rebelling against the king? Can I just tell you that just because you're doing the will and the work of God doesn't mean you're not going to be mocked and ridiculed? Here's why I need to preach this message today, people, because sometimes you hear from preachers that if you'll just give your life to Jesus, everything's going to be great. And that's simply not the case. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. Jesus said, I will, in this world, you will have trouble. And then he says, but lo, I've overcome the world. Sadly, I want to tell you things are just going to get worse for them. Nehemiah 5 It says, now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. This is a hard one when people of God start raising an outcry against other people of God. So first they're mocked and persecuted. And I just want to tell you, the Bible says anyone who wants to live a righteous life will be persecuted. Many of you have experienced that in your workplaces, in your schools. Our churches have really experienced that as we've gone to build our church. These people coming after us and and mocking and ridiculing and, and making up lies about us. This is what happens, but watch what happens next. Things don't just get better, they get worse. It says, now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. Some were saying, we and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others were saying, we're mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our homes to get grain during the famine. I mean, this is what happens. We're like, things are horrible. We're going to rise up and do a great act of God. We're going to partner with him, right? I mean, that, that is what the people of God are supposed to do. But can I tell you, it doesn't mean it's not going to be with resistance from people or even natural circumstances. Now, if things couldn't have looked worse, now there's a famine. And now people are not woo. Um, and now, now, now people are infighting. Still others are saying we've had to borrow money to pay the king's taxes on our fields and vineyards. So it's not just a famine, but now it's, it's the oppressive government that's taxing them in the midst of challenges. Although we're of the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and though our children are as good as theirs, yet we have had to subject our, sub, our sons and daughters to slavery. I mean, how, how can things get worse than this? Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless. Have you ever felt powerless, men and women? Have you ever felt powerless? You're like, this trial is too big. This challenge is too big. Everything just keeps getting worse. I was, I was watching another great movie, man. We just keep having these great Christian movies come out. It's called The Hill, this Christian baseball movie with Dennis Quaid. But there's this moment, he's a pastor. He's been kicked out of his church. He leaves in his beat up old station wagon with his family and they're driving. He runs out of gas. And so they're on the side of the street. He has no money. He has no gas and he falls on his knees and he's like, God, you've got to help me. God, give me a sign. And all of a sudden, Boom, one of the tires blows up and the car goes and hits the ground. Some of you are in that situation. Things are bad and you're like, God, you gotta help me. And then things got worse. 
This is the situation that men and women of God have found themselves in for centuries. Take heart, you're in good company. When I heard their outcry to these charges, I was very angry. I love how real the Bible is. Nehemiah wasn't like, and then I had my devotional. And I said, praise the Lord. It says, no, I got angry. Have you ever been angry? You're like, oh, God, why these, these people are coming against me? Or why did my tire just blow up? Or why, you know, and, and these people, have you, have you ever had financial problems where you're like, <clears throat> you're like, this, this couldn't get worse. This is, this is how things are going for the, the people of God. Nehemiah 6, 1 through 9. Okay, so you think, no, that can't get worse. No, watch. When, when word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, so they actually have enemies, the people of God will have enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall and, and not a gap was left in it, though up to that moment, the time had not put, to, put the doors in it. Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono, but they were scheming to harm me. They were scheming to harm me, so I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me this message, and each time I gave them the ma- this answer. Can I, can I tell you, you're going to be attacked at your work. You're going to try to stand for God, and people are going to attack students. People are going to come against you, but don't stop doing the will of God. Don't quit. It's a scheme from the enemy to get you to stop because the enemy is scared of how you change lives. The enemy doesn't want people to get off drugs and find Jesus. The enemy doesn't want kids to be saved out of sex slavery and liberated. The enemy doesn't want people that are destroying their lives with suicide to hear the life-changing message of Jesus and walk free. The enemy doesn't want the poor to be fed. The enemy doesn't want the homeless to get off the streets. All of these things happen in this church, by the way. All of them happen when the people of God do the will and work of God, but the enemy will speak against you. I'm about to get fired up. (laughs) Then the fifth time, Sanballat sent his aide to me with the same report, and in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it's true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you're about to become their king. They're accusing his motives. They're writing lies about them. The reports you are about to become king and even appointed prophets to make the proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king. So come, let us make meet together. There, there's gonna be times where people are trying to get you in trouble with your bosses. And you haven't done anything. You've just tried to be loving. You just tried to be pure. They're gonna try to get you in trouble with your teachers. Students are gonna try to come against you. But what is the answer? I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you're saying is happening. You're just making it up out of your head. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. Okay, someone needs to underline that today. Someone needs to highlight that today because the enemy And the trials are just coming at you so that you will stop what you are created by the living God to do, to live out your assignment. 
But I prayed, now strengthen. Say strengthen. strengthen. Now strengthen my hands. How are they going to be strengthened? Let me just review because there are a lot of tests. And I know that some of you today are going through one of these tests. Some of you are going through numerous of these tests. Some of you might be going through all of them. I am going through all of them. Bad news. Test one, bad news. Some of you have had horrible news. I'll never forget when I was given bad news that the heart condition I was experiencing, they said, will never go away. They said, you have ventricular tachycardia with an arrhythmia. You will never play sports again. You will never be healthy again. You're, you're gonna have to have a pacemaker put in. I'll never forget when I had the, the bad news of my mom having horrible cancer. Right after Steph and I got married, we were so excited. And then, no, your mom has serious cancer. She probably won't make it. By God's grace, she survived. And then she got it again. I got that news Again, some of you have gotten bad news. Test number two, test number two, persecution, people mocking, people ridiculing, people saying all kinds of evil about you. Test number three, financial problems. Financial problems where you're like, I don't know. I, we, Steph and I've had it where we didn't know where we were going to stay. We didn't have a place. We didn't know if we'd have enough money to pay our bills, if we didn't have enough money to, to feed our family. Number four, actual opposition, where people actually do things. They, 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 they are actually trying to stop you, right? I've been surrounded by my enemy actually physically before. People have done threatening things before where there's actual opposition, condemnation. This is one of the hardest ones. Test number five is when you actually feel condemned. It says, now Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest, and the teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them, this is a day holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep for all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. There's a time where the word of God so pierces you that it brings you to conviction, it brings you to repentance, but then the enemy, at times, he doesn't play fair, and so he starts telling you, no, you're worthless. No, you've messed up too much. No, this time, you've sinned one too many times. Have you ever experienced that? You're like, I'm not worthy of God's grace. Again, he can never use me again because what I've done. And so there's external tests coming at you, but then there's internal, that voice inside your head speaking, no, you don't deserve it. You won't be used by God. You've done too much. You are not worthy of it. So how, Nehemiah says, Lord, strengthen my hands. How is he strengthened? If, number, if point number one is this, that unconditional joy will change your life. Point number two is this, unconditional joy is our strength. Unconditional joy is our strength. Look at what Nehemiah 8.10 says. Nehemiah said, go. All the people are weeping, they're mourning, they're, they're, they're just saying, things can't get worse. And Nehemiah says, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our God. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. I, uh, this, this week, I kept getting bad news. Um, you know, th things, have been, things have been challenging. The amount of external persecution has been challenging. The smear campaign and way that people have, have personally attacked us. But when people around you start hurting, and, and uh, a friend of mine, I, I, I get this report that 
she had a, a, a sudden surgery and she had a tumor the size of a cantaloupe removed from her and it was cancerous. She has little kids and uh, she's facing this. Uh, one of our global workers, she went in to, to have something removed and they, they removed a, a growth and they thought, oh, it's benign. And then the reports come back, no, it's an unusual form of cancer, another person. I had a, another friend that I just talked to on Thursday, another guy from, from my ministry when, when uh, I, I was younger, and he calls and says, yeah, I have a cyst in my brain, and the neurosurgeon says I have to get a stent put in my back of my brain to drain the brain fluid that just keeps building up in my head. What do you do when these are the reports that you get? Some of you have this kind of health report, this kind of thing coming at you right now. And of course we pray for healing. And of course we've seen it. Like my heart was healed from that ventricular tachycardia and arrhythmia. Of course we're gonna pray. What, what, what do you do when, when someone that you're very close to, they call you and they say, my marriage has exploded. It's been torn up apart. What, what do you do in those moments? In those moments of, of such challenge, when, when there's no conditional joy to be found, you have to look to something that's unconditional. You have to look to something unconditional. Psalm 16, 1. In his presence is the fullness of joy. Can you say that with me? In his presence, do we have that? is fullness of joy. That's Psalm 16, 11. How, how can that be? Jesus, if you, if you look at the life of Jesus, he was actually known. If you look at I, Isaiah 53, uh, Jesus is a suffering servant. So, you know, um, Jesus was born into scandal. Like you remember Joseph was gonna leave Mary because he's like, how does, how does this woman, how is she pregnant out of wedlock? So there's, there's this scandal and then he's born and he's not born in a home, he's born in a stable. And then what happens is the king isn't excited. He decides to, to, to do the most horrible genocide of every kid under two. Can you imagine if that's what happened in our country, the horror that would be going on? And so what do they have to do? They have to flee as, uh, as, as religious and political refugees. And so they moved it. Jesus and his family moved to Egypt as refugees. And then when they, when they come back and you're like, yes, it's time to start your, your ministry, what happens is people start coming against him, right? And well, at least Jesus had these great 12 friends that were just upstanding citizens and they always knew exactly what to say, right? And, and no, his disciples, you know, Jesus comes and he's like, it's about love. And they're like, Jesus, can we burn down that city? She's like, oh my gosh, James and John. And then at least Peter always got it right. You know, his best friend, he never put his foot in his mouth, right? No, Jesus happened to rebuke him. And then Peter, his best friend, denies him. And, and in his family, when Jesus is doing his ministry, they're like, hey, he's crazy. We gotta go and take him out of this. Like, he's, he's, he, Jesus is one thing after another. And then his good friend betrays him. Judas for 30 pieces of silver. And what does he do? He finds himself getting his back scourged. Jesus was known as a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering. And I'm not even talking about him on the cross having the grief of all mankind. And yet, what does it say about Jesus? It says that he was anointed with the oil of joy 
Jesus was anointed with the oil of joy. Actually, it says above all of his companions. He was the greatest man of joy that ever lived. How can that be? How can you go through carrying the sins of the world? How can you be called a, a, a drunkard and a, and a friend of prostitutes? How can you have all the preachers of the day hate you, right? All the Pharisees, all the religious people, the good upstanding people all hated him. How can you go through that and be a man of joy? Let me share you the secret. Jesus's joy didn't come from earthly conditions. Jesus's joy came from within. Let me say that again. Jesus's joy came from within. This is what Galatians says. It says the fruit of the spirit is joy. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace. Can, can you get that tree for me? Uh, the, the fruit, so... Um, I, I have fruit trees in my, uh, on my property next to my house. And they just always, because they're fruit trees, they bear fruit. Like they have oranges. Every day they have oranges. I, I don't actually worry if they have oranges. The, the problem is so many times I'm just too lazy to go out and get them. I'm just too lazy to, to go off. But, but the fruit is on the tree. Uh, the fruit of the Spirit. Not the fruit of Robert. The fruit of the Spirit. Pretty good. How did Jesus have joy? Because he's anointed by the Holy Spirit. Listen to what the Scripture says to you. John chapter seven, John chapter seven, it says, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Let me just say that again. Rivers of living water will flow from within them. Them. Here's what you got to know. Let me just nerd out for a second about the word joy in the Greek. It comes from the word, it is the word kara, okay? That same root word is the same word for grace. That's the same root word for the word gift. Can I tell you that joy doesn't come through external circumstances? It is a grace gift from God. And so how did Jesus have joy? Because Jesus had this. There's fruit, right? I can pull it out from underneath. Jesus, anyone want to try this? It's actually pretty good. Um, Jesus had the fruit of the Spirit within him. If you have the Holy Spirit, you have complete joy. Um, let, me, let me read you some more verses. I, I want you to get convinced of this. Um, Jesus said this. I have told you this. This is 
John 15, 11. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Okay, do you want to believe your external circumstances or do you want to believe the Bible? I'm not talking about what you believe. I'm talking about what do you want to believe. (laughs) I want to believe the Bible. Have you ever thought that you could have complete joy? Have you ever thought that you could actually live incomplete joy? Uh, let, me, let me show you the key here. Jesus said this, at, this is in the, the two verses before, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. Uh, the youth group meets at my house on Sunday nights. I, I, I love it. And so I'm sitting with all of these kids and my son's sitting next to me, and I asked him this question. Um, I, I, I said, if you know me, you know that I love you. And, and these kids do, because I'm just, you know, always putting my arm around them, and I just, I just love kids. I just, I love them. But I said, but here's my question. Do I love you as much as I love my son? And all of them went, oh. Because, because I was, like, he's from me. And I was there when he was born. And I've been at every significant event of his life. And every night I wrap him up and I, I kiss my son. And I just, I love my son. And so these kids are like, of course. I mean, I know you love us, Pastor Robert, but you don't love me like you love your son. But what does this scripture say? As the Father has loved me, with the, it's what it means is, with the same love the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Yes, maybe I'll never love my students as much as I love my kid, but with the same love the Father loves Jesus, he loves you, and Jesus loves you. And if we can get our minds around that, and we can remain in that, I can just guarantee you, you are going to be one tree person. I've told you this so that your joy might be complete. He says this in John 17, in case you're like, well, maybe he just made a mistake. You know, he said that one time, but he didn't really mean it. No, John 17, I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they might have the full measure of my joy within them. Now, your experiences might have not have ever told you this, you might not have ever seen this, but when I read something like this, I, I get kind of bulldog determined. Like, you know why they call a bulldog a bulldog? Because these little squatty things, Steph and I used to own one, these little squatty dogs, they come out. They would actually fight bulls. And how they fight them is they would lock onto a bull's nose. And these bulls that weigh 2,000 pounds more than a little 50-dog bulldog, just starts going, rah, rah, rah. But the bull's like, I'm not giving up. And he holds on to its nose. And this is kind of graphic, until a bull bleeds to death. I want to be like a bulldog. I want to say, I'm holding, I'm locking on and not letting go until I have complete joy, until I have the full measure of your joy. So these past two weeks, they've been a challenge for me. Like this smear campaign the, uh, against me, the, the lies that people are making up, then hearing that different international workers are suffering, then hearing about friends who, are, who, who have 
horrible cancer. And I told you about one of my boys that got bullied on a field after the whistle, hit five times until his ankle popped. And he's knocked out and he's on crutches. And then on Friday night, my other son was doing great, playing the same position. Same thing happened to him. Didn't get bullied, but ankle pops, he's out. Not a happy week. But I want to tell you, I'm spending time with the Lord. And I, I started saying, God, I need your joy outside of my conditions. I need your unconditional joy. Lord, if in your presence is fullness of joy, I need that. And I'm not saying it always happens. I'm not saying I, 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 I live in this. But guys, in the last two weeks, I have had some moments where the presence of God comes up and there's a river of life that I start actually experiencing. Not just like, oh, I read it in the Bible. No, it's like I'm experiencing God and I start, it starts coming up. And I'm like, ha, huh, huh, huh. I start chuckling and I start saying, praise the Lord. And I start saying these verses out loud. I start jumping up and down. I want you to know that joy is your inheritance as a child of God, not from external circumstances, but from the tree of life, the Holy Spirit who brings joy as a fruit coming from within you. Point three, point three. This is intense. Our trials are actually a joy accelerator. Our trials, they actually are a joy accelerator. Let's talk about one of the most confounding scriptures in the New Testament. Consider it pure, consider it pure Joy when you face trials of many kinds. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. You're like, what the heck, Lord, is, are, are you talking about this? James 1, 2 through 4. Let perseverance finish its work so that you might be mature and complete, not lacking anything without trials. You can't learn to persevere. Without persevering, you don't learn to grow into spiritual maturity. Without spiritual maturity, you never become complete, not lacking anything. Because what do trials do? Trials end our joy in temporal things like a mocha frappa, chino, coffee, latte stuff, and you you, you're just like, I'm not finding the joy in that. And, and Netflix isn't doing it for me. And my little fuzzy poodle is just not, it's not enough today. And, and, and I lost my job. And, I, and so everything gets stripped away on the outside. And so you're forced to do one of two things. Either your grief drives you away from the Lord or the pressure pushes you in to the Lord. So listen to this verse from 1 Peter. It says this, in all this, you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. This has come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus is revealed. 
You know, it, it, when everything's going good, no one looks at you and goes, wow, supernatural joy. They're like, of course you're happy. You just got a new car. Of course you're happy. You just bought a new, of course you're happy. You just got married. But when everything's going bad, when everything's going wrong, and yet you are overflowing with joy, that's when people step back and go, praise God. Glory to God. Maybe there is something that you've been talking about because you are different. But watch this next part. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you don't see him now, and some of you right now in your trials, you're like, I don't see him now. But look at what scripture says. You believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. I'm not talking about a cheap little happiness that came from some little thing that went right on your day, even though I'm so thankful when they do, and let's celebrate those. I'm talking about an inexpressible and glorious joy that can only come from the Holy Spirit living within you. So, um, finish with this story. I, uh, a couple years ago, I'm going to bed and I have this spiritual dream and in it, this man shows up and looks at me and says, Isaiah 43, two. And I wake up, I, I write it down, then I look it up and it says, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you go through the rivers, they will not overtake you. When you pass through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. And I went, uh-oh. <laughs> and right after that is when the crazy persecution started coming from this hate group that's it's totally uh, against us. And I'm not saying everyone that's opposing us is these awful people. Some have just been swept up into the, the thing that these, these people are saying. But man, all of a sudden, the, the persecution and the hate mail and, and some of the threats that have come to my house, they started happening and it got fiery. And, and I was so thankful that God knows everything that's coming your way. But then what I found is actually it's that second phrase was the main thing he wanted me to know. When you pass through the rivers, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, I will be with you. I need to tell you, men and women of God, there's an intimacy that you will only know when you're going through deep waters. There's an intimacy with Jesus that you can only know in the midst of the fire. And that's why Paul says, I want to know Christ. And then he says something else that we're like, yes, in the power of his resurrections. And then he says this, in the fellowship of his sufferings. Men and women, there is a place in Jesus. And I, I'm not saying it just comes every time you start suffering. Oh, this, well, this feels good. No, I'm saying if you won't give up, if you won't hit the ejection seat, if you won't walk away from your faith, but you just keep saying, I have to have you. You promise that you will meet with me. I will not give up. I will bulldog grip on until you meet me and you give me this inexpressible joy. I want to tell you, that's your unconditional inheritance. Let's stand up.